So what? You left it in? I shot him. You shot Melanie? Twice. In the parking lot. You couldn't talk to her? Well, how, can you, how can you talk to her? You, know, you couldn't she, just hit her? Maybe, but I, at, that, at that moment, I don't know. I just... You shot her? Twice? Is she dead? I, 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 pretty much. What do you mean, pretty much, Lewis? I ain't no answer, yes or no, is she dead? I, I think so. You think so? Tell me, Lewis, She's is dead. she? She's dead. But where'd you shoot her? In the chest and the stomach. So that might be one of the very few exciting scenes of the entire movie. <laughs> what? Okay, you were like, I'm 20 minutes in and I'm loving it. And I was like, oh, okay, that's interesting. Mm. <laughs> that was when yeah. you were watching it. Until was you watching. Watching. Yeah. This was like way, way past the 20 minutes threshold of what I was talking about. Man, I've got like, I've got receipts here. You got receipts. Saying, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but like, like that was twenty minutes in. This is like what one hour, or over one hour into the film. Yeah, but you yeah. still loved it. It, it at that moment. At that moment, yeah, sure. Okay, okay. Yeah. I want to. I want to hear about this because, like, yeah. Uh, no, I don't hate this. I think this is probably one of the. I want to say. Would you say mo- only interesting parts of the film? <laughs> I said one of the very few interesting parts of the film. <laughs> yeah, I mean. Some of it's in the it's beginning and the first like 20 minutes that I, that I spoke about. I think it's the funniest part. It is, it is. Because it's that sort of odd, quirky Tarantino thing, you know? Well, you know what's actually kind of funny, right? Like, uh, I, I was reading that Jackie Brown is the people's who don't really like Tarantino, their favorite Tarantino film. Really? Yeah. I find that hard to believe. People, yeah, it's like it's like their favorite film if they don't seem to like his style very much. I feel like this is the most Tarantino movie out there, or one of the most Tarantino movies. Really? Yeah. Okay, that's an um, interesting statement. I might have to retract that a little bit, but we'll find out once we get into the review and the recap. Let's roll the opening. It's a new thing, the Legit Cool Podcast. Welcome to episode 064. We are reviewing and recapping Jackie Brown, part of the Legacy Series. Legacy Series is where we get to focus on one director, look at every single film that director has done in the past, and I guess somewhat of the present. Um, we review and recap the their entire um, film career. Um, so we are doing Quentin Tarantino now. We are up to Jackie Brown. If you haven't seen the previous episodes of Tarantino films, we have done Reservoir Dogs, of course, his first film. Then his second film to that was Pulp Fiction. And now we are on to Jackie Brown. Um, Jackie Brown. Um, this is the third. Oh, not the third. Sorry, this is the first time that Tarantino hasn't used his previous writers as well. On, Wait, on, I thought he... He writes everything. Well, he writes everything, but alongside he has that writing partner, which I forget the name at the moment. You can probably look at the notes of previous you want to check? episodes. <laughs> but um, he was using one other person quite a lot for his uh, earlier films, and now he's to do it. 
Yeah, yeah. Roger Avery. Roger Avery. There we go. There we go. Um, now he's using a guy called Al Moore Leonard for a very, very important reason. This is not his story. This is Al Moore Leonard's story. It's a book. Right. Based on a book, <clears throat> right? Based on yeah. a book, yeah. Which I, I think is probably the only Tarantino film that is a book adaptation. I can't think of any other film that would be a book adaptation. Well, that checks out. Kind of checks out, yeah. So he's, I guess, one of the writers of the film, which is interesting. I thought, you know, if, if you're going to adapt a book, you wouldn't really get the author to help write the film. Um, and um, this is an interesting one for me, you know. Like, I, <laughs> I, I did say that I was really enjoying it the first 20 minutes. Hey, I was uh, I enjoy the dialogue. I think it's just because we have two of arguably one of the most famous actors of all time sharing the same screen. Right in the beginning, that's Samuel Jackson and Robert De Niro. Oh, right, yeah, okay, yeah, sure. They pretty much open the film. I, I, I thought, like the op, the proper opening is Pam Greer playing Jackie Brown. That's the proper opening, you know that kind oh, of like with the starting uh, sequence. Kind of like a, I was going to say a montage. It's actually not even a montage, but it's just her finishing work and then going through the airport, and it's kind of that really flat, cold. Tarantino opening, which sets the tone for the film, I think. Um, does it? I, I mean, think it does. Because, 70s music in the background, and yeah, but just the energy in the scene is not very yeah. high. Like it's quite a flat, monotone energy to it, which I think the whole movie is purposely like that. Oh, um, okay. So um, it's just like because it's just her walking for what feels like three minutes, right? Like it feels like ten minutes. <laughs> It was like a very long walk to the airport. I was like, yeah. what is this, like Heathrow Airport? Like the biggest like airport in the world? Like in a bit of a hurry, but not quite, you yeah. know. Yeah, I get you. I get you. Yeah, yeah. And then we get into um, the first official scene, which is, yeah, Robert De Niro and uh, Samuel Jackson. Which, by the way, I was actually surprised. I didn't even know Robert De Niro was in this movie. <laughs> yeah, no. Like, I've seen this before. But, I, like, this is I... the first time I'd seen it. I've never seen Jackie Brown. Oh, okay, I, I blanked on it, though. Like, I remember not loving it that much when I first saw it the first time. And I did forget that Robert De Niro is in it. And he's a somewhat, like, memorable character in hindsight. So that's quite Well, after fun. seeing it, yeah, I'm like, well, he's, he is a memorable character. Yeah. I don't know if he plays a very central role. But then at the same time, I don't know if any of the other characters, aside from Jackie Brown, Samuel Jackson... Robert Forster. And maybe, right? yeah, maybe Robert Forster. I think there's only three central characters that really it, um, showcase the plot. You need just got Jackie Brown and uh, Samuel Jackson. Like, you could probably. Oh, no, like, it's kind of a romance film in a way, right? So it's got to be Robert Forster. Well, it's, it's almost like a strange. Um, it, it's the romance part of the story between Robert Forster and Pam Greer. It kind of yeah. creeps up on you. I don't. I didn't really get that impression until the end. Until right? the end, it was kind of odd. It was an awkward so kiss that they do. Very one way oh, up yeah. until then. Like you definitely find out very early when Robert Forster falls for Pam Greer. Mm, yeah, you get that. Yeah, um, and you just don't know what she thinks for a long time. Right. So yeah, yeah it, it's it's a very monotone like energy film, and that's probably why I didn't enjoy it as much as maybe everybody else um but you know we're, we're gonna really dive into this anyway in the recap 
sorry, I just want to say, like, you're normally someone who's okay with, like, m- medium energy stuff, right? Like, I, I don't know what it is about the film. I think it's really just because, um, in, in a lot of Tarantino films, there's, he makes a big deal about something so small, which is, yeah. uh, like, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm going to explain this very well because yeah. it is a big deal, like, the kind of, if if you think about it on an international scale, it's quite a big deal. Like what Samuel Jackson's character is doing, right? Like he's he's doing money extortion. <laughs> that's that's uh, that story. Extortion? Or well, is it just he's uh, money guns and importing it, right? Well, money not money extortions. That's kind of like is it like it's not money laundering either. What well, is it money laundering? Are you talking about the act of bringing the money in? From yeah. I don't know if that's the part they care about so much, isn't it? Like more the fact that like he's selling guns and that's how he's obtaining his money. Yeah. Yeah, well, I guess like that, but also like just, just I guess the big subject matters, like those are hefty criminal things to do in a film. But yeah. for some reason, they always feel, in any Tarantino film, they feel quite small, right? Even though they feel like large issues. <laughs> um, huh. I'm not sure. I, I mean, yeah, I mean, so in, in, in Reservoir Dogs, you're saying that that, that, that diamond robbery felt small. Yeah, it, it feels small. It but, feels, I guess it's... Yeah, it's not worldwide. I, I see what you mean. Like, it's like it's a problem contained entirely to that town. Well, not necessarily that, but because because we're so detached from visually what happens, we're we're left as the audience to figure out, use our imagination to piece together what the heist would look like. But that's just also encouraged through powerful dialogue between the characters. Mm. Um, but the stories just feel small, buddy the way he expresses the stories feel like he's trying to make a big deal out of it, which can be a really good thing. I think it's really positive for Reservoir Dogs when someone like Jackie Brown, um, I think, I don't know. I, I think I'm going to gather my thoughts a lot more when we recap it. <laughs> yeah. As we talk through it, because there was just something missing. And there were, there were times in the film where I just got a little bit bored. Um, uh, some of the characters were just a little bit too boring for me. Like the, blonde, like like the like, blonde surfer character, like her. Like she was I thought she was fun. I thought she was one of the funnier characters. She was fun. It, she was definitely fun, like in the parking lot sequence. Like, you know, the sequence that we yeah. just played in the beginning of the podcast. Like that's kind of funny, like the whole shopping spree where they're going to do the drop and the exchange. Oh, uh, you're talking about like her talking about being just her, like, going to Japan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That just that dialogue, like I think if it wasn't for Robert De Niro being in the room, it probably wouldn't be nearly as exciting. But I still think those scenes are just not. I don't exciting. think they're exciting even with Robert De Niro in the room. <laughs> yeah, like, well, that's, that's it. It's like um, I'm I'm actually like surprised that Robert De Niro signed up to do this for this particular character. Um, yeah, well, it's kind of fun, right? Like, he's, it's kind of like he is a bumbling idiot type of guy. Like, it's it's well, a he very just, big he just feels he he fits that sort of archetype jail character. Where like somebody who's been in jail for so long that he's lacking education, he's lacking any sensibility around operating society or dealing with human beings. Yeah. He just likes. No, he actually like doesn't seem to be very good at what he does. Like I mm. don't think he's a great bank robber from what you see in the film. Yeah, and that's kind of cool. That, that's a like, classic. Like oh, not a classic, but that seems like an um, a normal Tarantino thing to do. Is like he'll build these interesting characters that may seem like they're really good at certain things, but they're actually quite shit. <laughs> mm. I, I, um, that fun. Like, I really didn't, I didn't really care, I guess, but I was happy to hear and, and watch that. He just actually 
does kind of suck. Like he's not being very innocuous at all in the um, shopping mall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's kind of anyway. it is funny to see him clumsy through, but but yeah, nonetheless, um, I I think I will be able to gather my thoughts a bit more coherently when we do the recap. Um, so Jackie Brown released in twenty fifth of December, Christmas. Do you think this is a good Christmas present? Uh you know. <laughs> Yeah, I mean... It's not a Christmas movie. I'm thinking about the movies back in 97. This one maybe would have been good in that time. I feel like there's a lost opportunity there. They should have made it in Christmas time. The story should have been in Christmas time. And then it could have been... Christmas film. Like it could have been Christmas Die film. Hard. Could have been a Die Hard. Right? Die Hard. Could have been something yeah, like that. Yeah. They missed the opportunity there. I'm surprised that like Christmas movies is such a big thing. You know that? like In the, in the cinema industry, Boxing Day is huge. Why? Uh, is it? I don't know. Free time, I guess. What do you mean? Is huge like sales? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like no big, like big movies come out. I remember when I used to work at Hoyts. Um, Boxing Day was was pretty big. Oh yeah, like uh, it was a big release day. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, a lot of really big films will like try and time it to be at that because time. Boxing Day has always been that day where people spree, like you know, shopping spree. So yeah, maybe, maybe they're they tired just... and they go to a cinema and they watch. Oh sure, yeah, yeah. Double down on it. Yeah. But that's the thing. Like, is Boxing Day uh, Boxing Day sales is world, worldwide? You reminded me of that actually because I used to do quite a lot of, like, when I was younger, I, I would sort of splurge in the Boxing Day sales <laughs> and oh. and go to the Boxing Day movie openings as you would. Oh, you actually did it. So I you did were the, it. this person that we're talking about. This is hypothetical I was person. the target audience. Yeah, yeah. Damn. Okay. Um, yes, released two thousand. Oh, sorry, two thousand nine ninety seven, twenty fifth of December. Um, this had a box office of twelve million dollars, so a kind of normal Tarantino budget film, and it made just under forty million dollars. So he does pretty well with his first three films, having to have such small budgets. And Pulp Fiction like, did significantly better, though, right? Significantly better, I think. Pulp Fiction two hundred mil off ten mil or something like that. Something like that. It was like four yeah. times the amount or whatever. Um, Wait, no, this is already close to four times the amount, so... Yeah, yeah. Um, but a runtime of two hours and 35 minutes, also classic Tarantino runtime. Oh, yeah, um, it felt long. <laughs> it did feel like two hours and 35 minutes. It, yeah, it felt the entire two hours 35. Yeah, I think it's, it's especially in that midway point. Like, from the midpoint of the film onwards, it feels like it's dragging its heels. Um, so that's actually kind of funny. I disagree with that. I found... Um, that I'm just going to dive into a little bit. Yeah, like the first half, I had a pretty awkward situation. Oh, we okay. Now. The first 20 minutes that I enjoyed, you didn't like. Okay, I get yeah, it. yeah. That's why I was surprised when, like, when you said I'm enjoying, I'm, I've watched the first 20 minutes, I'm liking it. I'm like, really? Are we watching the same movie? Because like <laughs> the first 45 minutes to me is a drag, dude. It is mm. just rough. And there was a point where I actually turned off the TV, and I was just like, I need a break. Ooh. I need a break for this movie. And I was thinking about like picking it up because I watched this on Sunday. I was thinking about picking this up on Monday and just like being like, oh, you know, River, I can't do it. I can't do it. I got to do it on, on Tuesday. And then I was like, no, you know what? I said I'll do this. So after about like 10 minutes, I put it back on, kept watching. Luckily made it through without any more breaks, but I've never done that before. Wow. I've watched a lot of bad things, man. And I have never like turned it off halfway through. That's so interesting. I actually did the same, except in the opposite order so i watched like the first 30 minutes and then i paused it and i didn't come back to it until a day later <laughs> so you did what i wanted to do 
because you started on Saturday. I started right? on Saturday, and then um, wait, how did you get from? Oh, I'm, I'm I'm watching the first twenty minutes. I'm really liking it, and then ten minutes later, your opinion changes significantly. I think it's because like I was. I think I might have been distracted. I I think I had to do something really quick, and then I just forgot to continue yeah. watching. Otherwise, I would have continued watching. I think I had to like do some work stuff, or whatever. But yeah, to me, the first half really drags. The second half gets better. I started getting into it, like sort of, you know, when the heist was kind of underway. But it's yeah, that that first half was rough for me personally. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, it has a Rotten Tomatoes score of. 87 from the critics, 85 from the audience. So it's relatively the same um, across the board. Yeah, like very good, right? Like you have to think about it from like a, a university marked point of view. Mm-hmm. That's a high distinction, baby. There's <laughs> pretty much anything 80 onwards is good or yeah. maybe even great. Um, starring Pam Greer playing Jackie Brown, which – by the way, when I saw a picture of Pam Greer recently, I was like, oh, she looks a lot like Roxanne. <laughs> uh, you're going to have to help me out with this. Uh, Roxanne. The only example I can give you is like she had a TV show called Roxanne. <laughs> Pam Greer now? Yeah. Oh, she's still looking pretty good. How old is she? She must be in her 70s. I'd imagine she's yeah. uh, Maybe, yeah, late 60s, 70s, because she's probably, I'd, I'd assume, 10 years younger than Robert De Niro. Yeah. Or maybe more, 15. Roxanne Shanti? She's a big Walter. lady. She had this TV show called Roxanne. If you type in Roxanne TV show. Roxanne, Roxanne? Yeah, that's right. it, yeah. She kind of looks a little bit like her. All right. Yeah. Um, never seen it. I'm, I'm, I'm getting a lot of Roseanne, funnily oh, enough. Oh, sorry, Roseanne, not Roxanne. <laughs> hey, she looks like Roseanne. A little bit, yeah. Doesn't she? I just think you're looking at, like, you're just thinking about big women. <laughs> <laughs> no way. I think it's, like, the eyes. I think it's the eyes that look a little bit like her. I'm going to need to see the, these, the two pictures you're referring to specifically. I can't be doing this comparison of, of what Google Image Search is getting me. That's fair. Moving on. <laughs> uh, we have Samuel Jackson reprising his role. Well, not reprising his role, reprising his position, <laughs> I should say, or his employment with uh, Quentin Tarantino, playing. Actually, is he? He's in this. He's in Django. He's not in Inglorious Bastards, right? It wouldn't make sense. No, no, he's in Pulp Fiction, and I think that's about it. I think it's four Tarantino films he's in. Mm. Uh, okay, yeah. Um, he he plays a role called Ordell Robbie, arguably the main character. It's a little bit of an issue for me, which I'll get into the recap. Um. Robert Forster. He does have a lot of screen time. Yes, I Roby, right? I always got like, messed up by that. Roby. They say Roby? Ordell Roby, apparently, yeah. Oh, I think that's it's just that's, I, I, I that. I think that's a Robby. Tarantino thing, just being weird. Uh, okay. Yeah. Robert Forster playing Max Cherry. Bridget Fonda playing Melanie. Uh, Michael Keaton playing Ray Nicolette. Robert Nero playing Louis Gara. Michael Bowen plays Mark. Argus, and then Chris Tucker, or I should say featuring Chris Tucker, plays Beaumont Livingston. That was, I, I feel like that was a career-making role. He did well in that. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed Chris Tuckerism. This uh, set him up for Rush Hour, probably. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, in this movie, by the way, too. What? Chris Tucker is like, he's like a very skinny man in this film. Yeah, super skinny. I think he's like, like straight out of like uh, Money Talks, I, th- I believe he done Money Talks just before this. With oh, Charlie yeah. Sheen. 
He's bigish now. Oh, maybe he's like sort of worked out a little bit since then. Well, he's he's chubby now. Like he's just he's just got that kind of like I'm an what old guy, big? overweight. Well, overweight. I'm, I'm an old guy, like put on weight type person now. He, he he got really big, and then he I think he's like gone down because in air he wasn't as big as I've seen him before. True. Yeah. Yeah. Although he's still got that chubby thing, but like when you look at him from um, Money Talks days, Friday days, like he's super skinny. Like yeah, he's so fun. gangster on the street, anyway. skinny. <laughs> anyway, I want to throw it to you. What are your first impressions of Jackie Brown? All right. Uh, I haven't put much thought into this. So, look, it's not my favorite. Um, I did talk about the fact that, like, the first half drags. I think it does. It does so much. It was actually difficult to watch, difficult to pay attention to. And I wonder if that's, like, sort of my inability to enjoy something. I feel... um. I'm so used to and expecting this, like, as you're doing this legacy series, right? I'm expecting. I, what would be you got there? Sorry. I deliberately wanted to make noises so I can show off. <laughs> another beer. It's a Belgian beer from this uh, company called St. Frulian. It sounds fancy. Yeah. Where's the yeah, camera? Nice. Can't even, like, position uh, the camera. You can't get that. Yeah. St. Frulian. It's a. Frulian. It's a triple blonde beer. Oh, no. Okay. Yeah. I should know what blonde implies, but... Sorry. Neither. So getting back into it. um, Yeah. Like, I find the, the start kind of boring. I find that I'm expecting a lot of, like, really engaging dialogue in Quentin Tarantino movies. And I'm, I'm sure that, like, there are some that don't have it, right? Like, I'm pretty sure Kill Bill doesn't have it. Um, So I shouldn't... Oh, okay. You gonna you want to say something? But no, um, sorry, I'm just yeah. stuffing my face with dumplings. <laughs> <laughs> I shouldn't expect it all the time. This movie has, in my opinion, pretty boring dialogue. Like Ordell has some pretty shiny points where he's like really sort of entertaining, but he's like the only one. Everyone else, matter of fact, I'll, there's a lot of like scenes of conversations that are long and also boring, and so. I used to think of like Tarantino as like the dialogue god, and I'm starting to really rethink that because like, you know, there's a scene where um, Pam Greer and and uh, Robert Forster they're chatting the morning after when he comes back and gets the gun, and it's just this meandering chat where you learn nothing, and she she puts on some music and he sort of gets into it, and it's just it's such a boring chat, and so yeah, I guess like so key highlights for me. Um, there are some, some, some gems. I think it's like theme wise. It's really cool. I think the soundtrack is quite cool. Um, it does have some fun parts and it's kind of like a feel good movie in the end, which is great. Low lights. There's a lot of boring dialogue for a heist movie. It's a ridiculously simple one. Like it is, you know, like, like I was thinking to myself like, oh man, 97, maybe heists weren't complicated back then, but like, you know, Ocean's 11 came out in 1960, right? And that one had like a, a a pulse, like an EMP. It had a bunch of crazy stuff happening. Like this one is like a very generic, boring heist. So you need like the characters and acting to carry it through. And I think it is well acted, but some of the dialogue just isn't that great. So yeah, that's kind of my talking points. Do you have any thoughts? Yeah, fair enough. Um, <clears throat> Ocean's Eleven, the first one, came out in nineteen sixty. Um, and then yeah. the first, oh, so I got it exactly right. You got it exactly right. And then the first oh, of the remake that was done by Steven Soderbergh, great movie, by the way, love that. Maybe we should also um, do the recap 
Uh, I love Eleven. Yeah, Ocean. Like, I watched the old one, and it's actually somewhat complicated. Like this one, if you really think about what's happening, it's just you know we're doing handoffs. We're doing, and like there's there's so many like superfluous characters. Simone, um, the the country girl, mm-hmm. like. Like I've read reviews where they're like, "Oh man, it's so great that these people have like this wide cast of characters that you can sort of see that they live and envelop in this world." But I just feel like it, it feels like a waste of time, and it's two and a half hours, so that waste of time really hurts. Anyway, sorry, back to you. Yeah, uh, I don't know how I fully feel about this movie. My first impression is like it's not my favorite. I was a bit bored. Um, the the dialogue again, I think it's just like you. The dialogue was kind of boring a lot of the time um yeah like that first conversation about the guns like that that opening scene you talked about before i think it's trying to sort of evoke that sort of pulp fiction energy but it's just boring but here's what it is i think while you were talking about the dialogue and stuff i sort of thought to myself why did i enjoy the first 20 minutes and i think this is it i think it's because we're coming off of reservoir dogs pulp fiction yeah exciting films we really enjoyed them we gave them some pretty high ratings and we also give a lot of credit to the dialogue between all the characters so i'm coming off of a high right oh, and so okay. and so when this this is the first dialogue sequence you have nothing really to base it off necessarily you have nothing really to compare it to because we haven't seen the entire film yet so because it's right at the beginning coming off of a high i was like this is fun this is like cool interesting characters talking about a bunch of bullshit with guns. <laughs> um, and I, I, I just kind of like, I think I was there for, I was, I was there for it. You know, I was yeah, ready to take on. So looking back now, do you think that your high had a large impact on your enjoyment of that scene? Or do you think, no, no, you know what? It's actually a pretty good scene. It's great. It's, it's no, and, no, no, no. The former. <laughs> Oh, yeah. okay. Because now, you, now when I look at the film in the entirety, I'm kind of like, "What's it's, it's what I said at the beginning of this uh, review was that mm. um, it's pretty flat. Yeah, <laughs> home movies like quite quite flat, a little monotone, and uh, just it just lacks this um, this uh, interesting energy that Tarantino likes to bring to his films in his previous one, Pulp Fiction and Reservoir Dogs." Yeah. I just don't get it in this. It's like the exciting highs, I would say, is really carried by Samuel Jackson's character. You know, for sure, he always brings the fire to any of his scenes. Um, the way he interacts with the characters almost forces all the other characters to do some work. You know, I feel I feel like Samuel Jackson's character, particularly in this one, he's kind of like the head chef or like the Gordon Ramsay. He walks into the kitchen and he's like, you know played that better or like this tastes like shit or like, you know, he's, he's really forcing everybody to play their part. Mm. Um, so I feel like all the other characters are, are kind of that situation where they're all like sous chefs or like comedy chefs or whatever. And he's like the Gordon Ramsay, you know, <laughs> I, I do get what you're saying. Like he emotes so heavily in pretty much all of his scenes. Mm. Right. Yeah. Um, to the point where, the fact that no one else is really matching that energy makes it feel like, yeah, he's like the only one. I don't know. Like, like this is one thing I don't really get. And I maybe want to get your thoughts on this because you're like more of a movie guy. Like, you know, when people say, Oh yeah, he's chewing up the scenery. Oh, he's overacting. I can never tell. I love people emoting hard. Mm-hmm. And like, 
would you have said that Samuel L. Jackson in, in all of his scenes is overacting and everyone else is getting a l- real level? No, or not would really. Would you say that he's acting correctly and everyone else is just under? No, I wouldn't say he's overacting. No, I'd say that he's living up to what the character should be doing or what the character is prescribed to do, um, yeah. if not more. You know, he really delivers and goes above and beyond what his characters are artists i'd say essentially written for um so and and i think that's probably why he gets cast in a lot of these films because when they're thinking of a particular character that has this tremendous amount of energy and hype and quote-unquote overacting i think people are thinking about samuel jackson you know or i should say like casting directors and directors are writing characters specifically for someone like samuel jackson it's like when you get to that caliber, when they get to that very specific skill set that is identifiable across all those actors, you know, we're talking about like the Tom Cruises, the Brad Pitts, um, Samuel Jackson, you know, all these types of actors, they're archetypes of their own, right? And they're getting cast specifically for what they're good at, um, like very, very customized for those types of actors. And I feel like Samuel really? Jackson's like that. Like Brad Pitt's in that category because he he seems to like sort of. I'd say yeah, maybe not Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt's like quite versatile. Like you could throw him a doctor's role, you could throw him like a scientist, yeah. you could throw him um, a professor. Why am I talking about STEM field <laughs> occupations? STEM. Like I don't know if he's ever played those. Roles, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I can't recall a play. Actually, no. Was he a doctor in a Joe? No, not Joe. Black? Is it Joe Black? No, Joe Black is deaf. Oh. And just a random guy. You don't find out what that guy is. Legends of the Fall? Uh, Isn't he a doctor in the safari or something? I don't know. Uh, I think I'm probably just he, trying he, to cover my doctor. tracks. Surely he's, he's been a doctor. doctor. Are you telling me out of the 30 years of his career, he's never played a doctor? I would be shocked if he has. He's just not doctor material. You want a George Clooney for that. But also, like, the onus is on me. Why am I asking you? <laughs> that is true, actually, because I don't watch nearly as much stuff as you. But anyway, sorry, I keep interrupting. How rude. Yeah, I know. Um, Don't know why you have me on here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> For your rude interruptedness. Yeah, so, like, I'm, like, there's, as an impression, like, there's not a lot that I want to say about it because I'm just a little bit bored, you know, and it's it's coming off of, like, really great hits to start. You know, he kind of had this, like, awesome debut um, he followed through with that awesome debut. Still not quite as good as the debut. I still think Pulp Fiction is an enjoyable movie. Wait, wait. do you actually agree with that? Because I thought we disagreed. I thought you liked Pulp Fiction more. No, no. Like what I said was I enjoy it more in terms of rewatchability. I can't – like Reservoir Dogs doesn't really have a rewatchability factor to it, whereas Pulp Fiction has this excitement and joy that I'd rather watch again. Like but you do think Reservoir Dogs is a better, a better film? film. I wasn't, yeah. Oh, okay. I wasn't, I wasn't aware of that. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm on record, so you can go back and listen to that episode. Yeah. Okay. Get 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 a uh, get one listen. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you pay attention? Gosh. Um. But yeah, no. Did you actually agree with me in the sense that like the second half got better, or do you actually think it got worse in the second half? Because you, I, I don't know if it got worse. I just kind of stayed on that that mood of i'm bored (laughs) you know what it actually reminds me of a lot of the dialogue reminds me of the uh uma thurman scene in pulp fiction (laughs) like it's just that for two hours whenever 
You know, it's actually kind of funny. This is like, you know, oh, you don't watch The Simpsons, but um, there's this episode of The Simpsons where they create a dog character hmm. whose name I forget now, and I, it's going to bug me. But, like, they kind of painted out, like, oh, you know, it's itchy and scratchy and this dog. And whenever the dog's not on screen, everyone should be thinking, where's the dog? And that's kind of how I thought about um, Samuel L. Jackson's character. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, okay. Yeah. I like wish I could really connect with you on that Simpsons scene, but I so- I'm sorry, I can't. <laughs> you should watch it. I'm going to link it to you. All right, link it to me. Um, it's funny because uh, Bridget Fonda, you know, the lady that played uh, Melanie, I felt... Mm-hmm. I got the impression that she just reminded me of Uma Thurma's character. A little bit boring, kind of nothing. Like oh, Maybe yeah. she's a tad bit better than Uma Thurma's character in Pulp Fiction. But um, They're on drugs. They're on drugs, yeah. I guess, like, Melanie has more to do because she gets to act mad and she gets to yeah. be kind of... She like, has a better intonation to her character. Yeah, yeah, because she's allowed to because of just... And, like... I dislike her less because her dialogue just kind of fit her character well. Mm. She had a part in the film to play. There are scenes where she's just talking about stuff and I don't care and I don't understand the purpose of it. Um, for example, when she sleeps with um, Robert De Niro, it's like... Well, sleeps is a, is a very big over-description of that scene. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I mean, I guess... Yeah, like, I don't know what that scene was about. I don't know. I mean, like, I... I, I expected it to go in that direction because Samuel L. Jackson's character pretty much spoils it for us. Like he, he says something like, uh, don't sleep. Like, don't do it. Don't, don't have sex with her or something. It's like, he's pretty much telling us what's going to happen in the next scene. Yeah. But like, what's the point of that scene? Like to show Lewis is like kind of a weak guy and he's scared of, of Samuel L. Jackson and Samuel L. Jackson doesn't care. Like, mm. does that, what does that tell us about Samuel L. Jackson? I guess. I think it, t- it shows us the, it demonstrates the dynamics that they have between the characters and the power play, perhaps. Because mm-hmm. cause I, what, I, what I know, well, my takeaway from Samuel Jackson's character is that he wants to be the biggest like, power trip in the room. He, wanna make, he, he wants to make sure that he has the control, which he, yeah. he kind of has to, right? Like he's, he's, got a, he's got very big responsibilities. He's dealing with money. He's dealing with guns. He's dealing with people yeah. that are doing illegal activity alongside him. He's got a lot of responsibilities and a lot of people to make sure that they're on track. Otherwise, they get the Beaumont um, Livingston treatment, you know, um, yeah. which I'm surprised about. Like it's like right in the beginning. But it's, whoa, whoa, whoa. I actually like that scene. That was a great scene. It was a great scene, but I was kind of – bummed because i really wanted to see chris tucker a lot more <laughs> oh but to me like i mean you're right i want to see more chris tucker but at the same time i'm like you know what this is a, at this point in the career this is oh this is the amount of chris tucker i expect true true like this was quite a big one for him i guess because money talks wasn't a huge movie for him but then i think money talks really like this he he got this job because of money talks because i think it's a almost identical carbon copy of that character. Oh, okay. I've not seen that film. He almost wears the exact same costume as well. In Money Talks, he's always in a, in a wife beater, like a singlet. Um, mm-hmm. And he looks like he's just come out of his living room. And it's the same with this as well. Oh, okay. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Um, I should watch that in that case. But yeah. So yeah, I guess, sorry. so your overall thoughts, you were kind of bored. Overall thoughts, kind of bored. Not that enjoyable. I don't know if I can watch this again. However, this is what Tarantino had to say about rewatchability. 
Okay, let's see it. Tarantino wanted to gorge the audience reaction to key moments in the film. So he spent the first several weeks following the film's release watching it in theaters. Quote, I saw that movie like 13 times at a Magic Johnson theater. Was that a good Tarantino accent? Uh, Probably not. I didn't know what you were doing, so... Okay, what you're really saying is don't ever try and act. Okay, I get it. Just just rip the bandit you're off. You're doing pretty well with Samuel Jackson last time, last week. Oh, okay, thank you very much. You just don't act as white guys. <laughs> uh, so that was an unquote. That, that's what Tarantino said, and he said the whole first four weeks, uh, it, was, it was there. I just lived there. Um, he sort of further explains that this movie is a hangout movie. Jackie Brown is better the second time, and I think it's even better the third and the fourth time. Maybe even first time we see it, go see it. Quote, why are we all doing – why are we all doing – why are we doing all this hangout? Why can't we get to more of the plot? But now the second time you see it and the third time you see it, you're not thinking about the plot anymore. You're waiting for the hangout scenes. To me, that's the thing that – um, Rio Bravo, which is the original name of the book, by the way. Mm-hmm. It's actually not the like Jackie Brown's not the name of the book, right? I think. Um, Rio Bravo did. I remember the first time I saw Rio Bravo, but I remember more the 15th time I saw Rio Bravo. <laughs> it's about hanging out with the characters. Now, what do you think about what Tarantino says about that in terms of rewatching? I disagree with him. Disagree, right? <laughs> okay. Well, do you, would you would you give it a would you give it a shot? Like maybe watch it a second time, try and pull through the pain. I mean, technically, this is that shot, right? I've seen that oh, two yeah, times. True, now. true, true. Look, I, I would. You would have to pay me money, not that much, but you'd have to pay me something to watch this a third time. Pay you yeah, money? I didn't enjoy it that much, and like, I don't understand what his his point is because the hangouts are not very fun. They're yeah, all. I wouldn't want to be in that room hanging out with them. <laughs> Well, sort of about the, I mean, like being in the room might be all right if I could, like, sort of steer the conversation a little bit, but, like... Those are the types of people that I don't want to... Like, I want to avoid those types of people. Like, really? sitting in the living room, a bunch of, like, drug addicts, like, completely stoned off their off their heads. Nothing very interesting to talk about. Um, probably yeah, like, smell. I don't know. Like, I, like, those are the types of environments honestly, I avoid. Like, <laughs> I find Lewis is like a boring guy, right? He, he's Maybe he's written that way. I'm not going to blame Robert De Niro, but he's just there going, hum, hum, hum. he's just like grunting all the time. Um, Melanie just talks at the, the sky. And yeah, like, like Samuel L. Jackson is a really interesting guy, but he rarely hangs out uh, in interesting ways. Like when he's talking to Jackie, it's 99% plot. Um, when Jackie talks to Max Cherry, like that's usually some boring conversation and it's like very heavily plot. Like, it's just, these hangouts are not cool, um, Quentin. Sorry. Yeah, I don't know if I'd believe him, and I don't know. It's a, It'll be a struggle. You'd have to drag me from my collar to see it a second time. Wait, are we saying that we hate this? Like, I don't, I don't know. know. It I sounds like a it. strong implication of, hey, I don't hate the movie, no. Yeah, like, no, I don't hate I it. I wasn't hating my time watching it. I just found it a bit dull, you know? Yeah. I found it a little bit dull, and I think it's... You know what it is as well? I think it might be the fact that maybe Tarantino just does better when he writes his own films, meaning like the origin of the story is his idea. That checks out because like 
again, the dialogue kind of sucks. Mm. Um, and the plot is pretty basic. <laughs> yeah. Like Tarantino like, is so good. Like, when you look at Reservoir Dogs in Pulp Fiction, he he pulled that out of thin air all from his yeah. imagination, his creative imagination. That was all him. Whereas this, adapting a book, he's he's restricted in that way. I feel like he's he doesn't have the same um, adaptability or he doesn't have the same outlet to be creative in that sense you know and, and, yeah. and i don't think he does well with adaptations i can't think of any other film that is an adaptation maybe the closest to might be like uh glorious bastards but that's like it's not an adaptation that's a historical event that's just been taken into a completely different direction <laughs> nah he's just completely changed that i mean yeah. like yeah it's, it's a movie that's just set in an era but like yeah, I, I felt like this movie, like, the dialogue kind of boring, the plot's kind of boring. But if you think about the heist, man, I really want to talk about this heist because it's a crappy heist. Like, if you think about Ocean's Eleven, right? Is <laughs> it really a heist? Though? Like, it's, like, I don't even it, know. It's painted as a heist, though. This film is painted as a heist. They're talking about a plan. She's enacting the plan. There's a lot of people involved. They're all screwing each other over. But, like, you know, Ocean's Eleven, you've got, like, the whole, I don't know, I'm not going to go into it too deeply, but that fact that, like, you know, oh, they're pretending to be the SWAT team, mm. and then the van has no one inside of it, and there's fake money in it, and then they they have this guy sneaking inside, and he's got a certain amount of mm. air. Like, this is a fantastic scheme. You look at this scheme, you've got, um, she's got a bag of money. She gives a fake bag of money to someone. She leaves the real bag inside. Someone else comes in, gets the real bag. Then he leaves. <laughs> and then um, the bad guy finds out, they tell him to go to a dark room where the cops are waiting and they shoot him. Like, that is a basic-ass plan. I don't know if it deserves to be put into film. Yeah, it makes me think, um, how well did this book sell? <laughs> yeah, like, what kind of book is this? Like, is it a heist book? Because it's just like, yeah, and then she she put the real bag in the corner and then the other guy came and picked up the real bag and left. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, uh, for a heist story you like this this type of storytelling is competing against the likes of like tom clancy perhaps or or john yeah. grisham you know these like famous thriller crime heist authors i kind of yeah. i've never heard of this type of person you could maybe argue and like as i'm talking i'm, I'm talking myself into it that like you know this is a film set in a certain era set in a certain um place where like uh, samuel L. jackson's character is really unsophisticated and jackie brown's character is really unsophisticated so would it make sense if they had like a really elaborate heist probably not um but yeah it, it's just not fun to watch because it, it thematically it seems to make sense like these two like because um samuel L. jackson's character is like not particularly smart right like melanie says it multiple times and he acts it multiple times yeah, as well yeah he's just like a street hustler who's made out kind of well and he's trying to get out but like not get out oh yeah he's trying to retire um which is similar to his pulp fiction character yeah that's true too but then you know jackie brown like her scheme like she's just she spends a lot of time talking about it and like planning it and like convincing um, Samuel L. Jackson's character, and then when it just plays out, it's like, oh yeah, it's really basic. I, I just kind of got mad by that. Which, um, in hindsight, it kind of makes sense that all these characters are super basic and how they execute such a pretty 
non-elaborate, like uh, from a thematic point of view, I get it. I do get it. Um, it would be weird if she had like, oh yeah, and then the secret truck opens up and like (laughs) it'd be super, be super weird. She like whipped out her like Windows ninety two. Because the characters are not so very sophisticated. They're not very smart characters at all. Like none of them are very smart. Yeah. Um, even even the cops, they're not very smart either. Like they're sort of painted no. out to be super dumb. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess everyone is. And I didn't even but understand again, the point it... of those those cops either. Like they didn't need to be involved in this. Like you had no, they they power the story along, don't they? Like her getting caught is pretty much like what powers the story. Oh like. yeah, yeah. Sorry, like I, I was missing that part. <laughs> her getting caught because that—that's—that's that's kind <laughs> of like where the story kicks yeah. in is because they're caught in a situation where now she's she's in a pickle and she needs to get her way herself out of it without having to upset Odell with the person that she's working mm-hmm. for. Yeah. yeah. Um, but you know, I, I think I was sort of thinking more along the lines of like the cops. Other than that, like plot point, mm. they're not very interesting characters in the story yeah. at all i do like uh michael keaton like he's got kind of cool face emotions and he's a fun guy and like he just looks when... like bruce wayne in cop uniform <laughs> <laughs> but when she like sort of like gets near, near the end of the film when she's trying to convince him and then he gets convinced yeah um that's I don't know, it's kind of cathartic to watch her be successful, I suppose. It was just, um, it was was a bit strange that it all just amounted to that point of he ends up getting shot in the dark, like point blank. Yeah. I like that was a very underwhelming ending to that. I I, I know that the inevitability was going to be that, but just to amount to that scene where the lead up to that is a very long conversation in the car. They get out of the car, they go into the office, and then it's like straight away he dies. Like, he's got a gun and dies straight away. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> yeah. It's funny though, right? He's like, you stand in front of me, you stand in front of me. And then as soon as he sees Jackie Brown, yeah. he's like, oh, Jackie, is that you? Why are you in, the, are dark, in the dark, girl? Yeah, like, yeah. that's a dumb thing to do. I get it. Like, I feel like, and maybe I'm putting words in Quentin's mouth here, like, it's sort of like. It's a similar statement to what, like, I think Pulp Fiction was going for, where, like, this is just the lives of people, and sometimes they just die random. Like, it's, like, a very standard thing. It's not always going to be guns blazing, really exciting um, action set piece. Sometimes people just do dumb stuff and get killed. That's true. Maybe that's the theme. Maybe that's the ultimate theme. It's the sort of ghetto aesthetic, right? Like, Yeah. Yeah. I'd agree with that. But anyway, do we want to recap? Um, I was just going to mention a couple of these parts in the recap, actually. Um, Are you sure? So in the first act, we're introduced to three main characters, Jackie Brown being the first one, in the montage that's not a montage, <laughs> right at the beginning of the film. Oh, yeah, the yeah. very yeah. loud funk music. I do like that song now, actually. I don't know much about funk. Mm. I think you've got the better uh, Spotify playlist for that, but maybe you know, I don't mind that song. It's not my favorite. I don't mind it, but it's uh... like first time I've heard of it. Well, technically second if I've seen the movie before, but <laughs> yeah. Um, Jackie Brown, a flight attendant, smuggles money from Mexico into the United States for Odell Roba Roba. Well, how do they? How do they I say call it? him Roby. 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 A gun runner in Los Angeles. When Odell's courier Beaumont Livingston. Is arrested, he hires bail bondsman Mark Cherry to bail him out. 
to prevent Beaumont from talking to the police, Ordell kills him. Um, uh, I do like the scene where he's in the car or he's trying to convince him for so long to get into the trunk. Yeah. Get in the trunk. This is one, the one of the yeah. This is one of the few conversations I think that are actually really fun. This like this entire interaction with Chris Tucker is really good. Great, love it. Um, yeah, it, if the dialogue was like this between the characters, if it was this type all of the time, that would be oh, man. that would have changed the feeling. This of the would movie. be a ten. Like that move, like that interaction for two and a half hours. Mm. I'm very, I'm there for right. Yeah. Like him talking to Max Cherry. Like, I understand that they're trying to paint Max Cherry as like this hard nosed, very professional kind of guy. Um, and and you know you see, uh, Ordell be like really engaging, really charismatic with him, but he's like you know shutting it down because that's just, that's just the kind of guy that he is. I understand from a film perspective why this is the way that it is, but it is boring to watch. That's my view on like that scene. Yeah, yeah, and it's probably like because it is one of the first scenes of the film as well. Um, yeah, I've just gone from a boring conversation of Ordell with Robert De Niro to a boring conversation with him and Max <laughs> Cherry. And then you get a really fun conversation with him and Chris Tucker. Yeah. Yeah. And then first murder happens, you know, you feel like the energy is like kicking up a notch mm. and then it drops like that. Cause there's also, again. there's also reaction and kickback from Chris Tucker's character. Like Chris, Chris, Tark, Chris Tucker's character is like meeting that energy, you know, like when he goes yeah. high, he goes high, you know, like when he's, got high conflict he's trying to come back with high conflict as well eventually he submits to samuel jackson's yeah. character because samuel jackson's constantly reminding him and just full-on guilt trip you know that kind of like bro guilt trip just yeah just you know really yeah 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 like that was a very very tough thing for him so and you can feel that between the characters and the moment he gets in the trunk drives around long shot of like him doing a big u-turn into the neighborhood mm. going into the deserted parking or park whatever it is and just shoots him so like yeah th- that creates suspense and it creates mystery around the character mm. ordell that's that was fascinating i was like cool where is this gonna go didn't really go anywhere <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah um tarantino had promised Robert Forster, that the two of them would work together again after the actor audition for Reservoir Dogs, by the way. Oh, um, as in, like, you don't, we don't unlike you for any of these roles, but I promise you, you're getting something else. Pretty much, yeah. So here's something interesting. Well, you're be Harvey no, no, no. Um, this is interesting. This is a quote from Robert, Robert Forster. I was reading for the part that Lawrence Tierney eventually played. He's, the, he's Joe Carbo. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which makes sense. I mean, he's old, whatever. Oh, he's way better at that. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm really happy the way they went with. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. Forster recorded in an interview on the Blu-ray, um, quotes, but when I read for him, Quentin said, you know what? This may not work out. If it doesn't, don't worry. One of these days I'm going to use you. Unquote. Yeah, right. Interesting, hey? Okay. I, I think he would have been good for Joe Carbo, maybe. I don't know. Nah, Lawrence Tierney did a great job. No, he did, no, like, no shade on Lawrence Tierney. I think he did a great job. But like, oh, you think that it would have been okay? I think it would have been okay. Hey, I'm, I'm thinking about that um, scene where he's telling Mr. Pink that he's Mr. Pink. I can't imagine <laughs> anyone else doing that. That's true. You need, you need a bit of sass with that. And I can't imagine yeah. Robert Forster having that kind of sass. Maybe that's yeah. why he didn't choose him for it, because he probably needed someone who could hold that 
like confidence, but also feel like a a dawn of the mafia because he's basically a dawn of the mafia, right? Exactly. Yeah. I feel like Lawrence Journey pulls that off so well. Whereas, like, I mean, look, I can imagine Robert Forster in the role. Maybe he would have done a good job. I don't know, but Lawrence Journey was perfect. Yeah. yeah, I agree. I mean, after his performance in Jackie Brown, I don't know if that would ever go down very well. If he was to- oh, so you hated him in that? Like, well, I don't hate him. Like, is he's. He's kind of interesting. I think it's more just the actor's delivery of the lines, but like, I don't know. Like, I don't blame him. I think the character is this really straight-laced guy Mm. who's just always straight-laced, and it's kind of like, what? What am I? Like, he doesn't have an interesting enough um, character description to make me think that like Like, he's he should stand out. Yeah, his arc is that he sees this woman and falls in love with her at first sight. Mm. He is kind of smitten. He f- gets into the, the, the Delphonics because he wants to impress her. Mm. And, like, he's this guy who's been straight-laced his entire life, right? There should be more of a conflict in his heart to, you know, commit a crime that in the act of love. That would have been more interesting. If, if he was he forced was to operate outside of his values, his morals, it would have been more interesting. Well, he, he is. Like, if for 19 years he's been doing Bell's Bottoms and he's just this straight-laced guy, you know, you see him, like, he's, like, answering all the queries really, really professionally. Mm. He decides to help this woman that he loves to steal a whole bunch of money, go against the cops, do this all secret, and he just signs up to it. There's, there's no conflict there. Mm. And, uh, like... It's just it w- that would have been interesting to see him do, but then yeah, he's just this kind of like guy who's just there to do stuff. It's yeah. just what's the point? And I, I'm not convinced of that love story at all either. Like the like, yeah, how, it, how does he even fall in love with her? Like it was kind of like love at first sight. It's almost implied when they're having that later conversation, right? When he says, "Oh, I kind of want to retire," and he's like, "When did you decide you wanted to retire?" And then it flashbacks to that scene where they first meet. Oh, no, no. I felt like I got it straight away because he's like, I don't know, the way that scene is shot, like he's like staring at mm. her and he's like super into her. Yeah. And he does a lot of staring at oh. the car at her as well. Yeah. but And like, staring at her when they go to the bar. That's right, well. yeah. But it's, it's just the but, fact that like when when they flash back to that scene where um, he said, oh, that, that was the moment that I decided to retire, I think it's implying that he fell in love with her at first sight. And that was the moment yeah. that he wanted to get out of that job, perhaps. And he explains it as like it happened afterwards, mm. but you know, maybe it was that moment. But yeah, like I just feel like you just meant to take it face value that he loves and he'll do anything for her, and it's just not explored very well. And no. I, I don't want to add scenes to this movie because it's already like two and a half hours long. But <laughs> his character seems to be just like a mechanism to make plot go forward. Yeah, super mechanism. <laughs> Unaware of the plan to smuggle in fifty or oh, fifty five hundred and fifty thousand. Well, no, you're in Act Two already. Yeah. Uh, should we just like? I'm just skimming. Duck ahead, I'm I guess. Skimming. So, okay, let's let's just go quickly. Um, Jackie gets caught. Mm-hmm. Odell hires Max again to bail her out. Yep. Um, there's a cool scene where Odell arrives at Jackie's apartment to try and kill her. I'm not sure if you want to talk about that because that's actually kind of a fun scene as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I find that so odd. That um, like Ordell does just very obviously freaky things. Like he's just constantly like turning off her lamps. You know what I mean? And she's just like chatting. I think because she knows she's got a gun, and then she negotiates with Ordell to like 
help him out, even though she just wants to get he's his money. He's a creepy dude. He's got a very creepy thing. Like, yeah, he's got the whole long goatee with the ponytail. With the ponytail. But then even the ponytail. Like, you told me that ponytails look like that, man. I have a parade You should have told me. <laughs> but his ponytail is weird. It looks so manufactured. Um, yeah. And then when he, when he doesn't have it in a ponytail, he just looks like a creepy monster. <laughs> when yeah. it's all like flailing out super thin and he's just oh, got a creepy then, of, uh, uh, aura to him. In the next scene, he talks about Lewis. Um, and then that's the scene where Lewis bangs Melanie. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. Lewis is talking to Odell in the bar and Odell's like, oh, I'm cool. I knew you were going to do that. Yeah. Um, that scene's boring, right? In my opinion, yeah. that scene's just boring. I, I, do, I do like a couple of lines that he exchanges with him though. Um, when Samuel Jackson says, wait, but like, I'm going to completely paraphrase because I don't remember the lines, but it's yeah. something along the lines of, you should feel guilty. You should feel guilty. Now. Yeah. I thought that was a kind of yeah. fun and exciting. He's like, yeah, I, he's I, like, wait, so you did feel guilty? Like, so like you wouldn't feel any different even if you found out later. And he's kind of like, no, nah, probably not. And he's like, and then he laughs about it. <laughs> yeah. I, I think Lewis and, and Ordell have pretty fun interactions. Like their interactions are great. Yeah. Generally. Especially the um, one where he kills him. <laughs> yeah, that's really, really fun too. Melanie is pretty boring in these scenes and like the whole story about her being in Japan and like that's just what's the point of all that. Yeah. Um, There's that little also Tarantinoism that happens with that whole Japan sequence where she says, well, that? She's like, that's me in Japan. That's Japan in the background. <laughs> it's like, what the Oh, right. And like, that's the thing. I, I would normally enjoy that kind of dialogue because that's kind, kind of human. <laughs> but it's, but it's like, it's such a shitty picture. You can't even tell what it is. And she's like, that's, that's, kind of that's Japan in the background. I'm like, okay, yeah. sure. That seems like a. I feel like that line was supposed to hit much harder in comedy than it was supposed to. I don't know. Yeah, but... it sounds like a comedic line, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but she's also yeah, not a funny, she's not that kind of character either to be funny. So I, I don't know what he was trying to execute. I don't know there. she's a comedic character. Yeah. What do you mean? No. Uh, I mean, generally, she provides comedy, I feel like. Um, I feel like she has. she's the brunt of the joke or the end of it, like the out of the yeah, joke. For sure. Rather than but being isn't the that joke. Like, um, like in The Hangover, like Zach Galifianakis is like the brunt of all the jokes, yeah. but he's also the funniest thing in that. But he's film. funny, though. <laughs> yeah, he's actually funny. I love that guy. Um, I have so much respect for him. Oh yeah, yeah I want to have a drink with that guy. Oh. It's one of my goals. Like out of like a lot of famous. Yeah, it's real weird because if you ask me, like, who are the actors that you really want to hang out with? Like, and I'd I would usually respond by saying, look, if I could have a beer with an actor, I'll choose yeah. Brad Pitt, Tom Cruise. Zach Galifianakis. And people are like, what? Zach Galifianakis? <laughs> Why? I've, I've just, I've like... just, um, I've, he's, he's a very warm and daring dude. I've, I've seen yeah. pretty much all of his interviews. I've listened to the very few podcast interviews that he's been a part of. And he just seems like an awesome guy to hang out with. Like he's, he wants to yeah. stay away from that whole kind of limelight famous thing. He hates the whole fame thing. He doesn't understand it. He, he doesn't have social media. He doesn't want oh, wow. to be put in the world as like this thing. He also, he doesn't do interviews for the very reason that put him into the show business. <laughs> like well, put him into the show business because of his skill, you know, his acting is, comedian yeah. his comedy all that kind of stuff um but he doesn't want to be interviewed for that he wants to be interviewed know. because people find him 
people want to be genuine in learning about him and not the career that he's done and not for he doesn't want to be like interviewed because oh like tell me how you got to this and blah blah, blah. talk about your process talk about like what is the special system behind so that seems odd right like it's like oh no you should like me for me not because of what i've done but the only reason that people care is because of what he's done yeah and and he has an issue with that <laughs> and like my like i this i can probably have a little bit of a criticism of that but it just it's it's what he talks about when it comes to like yeah, i just want people to get to know me just because of that angle fair. like i'm like yeah i want to have a beer yeah. with him like he doesn't have so that kind of ego yeah, he doesn't actually do the interviews. Like, if he was like, I want people to get to know me, and then he's, on the other hand, he's like, but why aren't people interviewing me? But he, he, he makes fun of himself as well, because when he does do these very few interviews, he's like, and I say that while I'm getting interviewed as a, as a rich actor. <laughs> and he, and yeah, he, makes, yeah, he right. makes fun of it. He understands the irony behind what he's saying. Yeah, I can see that. But, like, I, I, yeah. but the proof is in the pudding. Like, there's not a ton of interviews with him at all. I was not aware of no. that, yeah. yeah. Anyway. Interesting. Yeah, okay, cool. <laughs> Um, okay, so we're gonna jump to Act Two. Yeah, um, we're talking. It was the scene where they're planning to smuggle five hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Oh yeah, this is when the heist kind of starts, right? Yeah. So they're doing the fifty thousand trial run, mm-hmm. and this is all part of her big plan because it's like, oh, the trial run is going to go so smooth, yeah. and then it doesn't because Ordell messes with it. Mm-hmm. Yep, and um. She gets really mad. It also starts with that like interaction in the mall when Odell sees like when, when he says goodbye to Jackie Brown in the mall. Yeah. Um he walks he walks in and then he sees Max coming into his view. Um and he starts to suspect that something's going on between Max and whatever. This is the part I don't get. Did she tell Max to be there? No. Or was that well, the- okay, this was I, I was also confused about this as well. Was this just a coincidence? Like she yells over at him. Yeah, and he's right? like, like, oh, why? I'm surprised. But then he's walking around with with this intent to look for someone. Like, he, he, he's walking yeah, around looking he, for he's someone. Looking like this. So yeah, that would right? imply and, that he's been following her, maybe? Which might which might sort of bleed into the idea that, like, he, he's he's a bit of a stalker, maybe, for her. Because he, he loves her. He's really interested. He's the only one that's, like, putting all this effort into it. She eventually comes along for the ride, but... Uh, it makes sense for someone who's like really love interested into somebody that you'll just do a lot of the stalking. But it's so weird. Like uh, maybe she just didn't realize that Odell would, would see, but like, that's probably like a pretty risky meeting. And like, she's telling him on the phone that she needs him in the plane. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So why is she, why, why is it such an, like a weirdly opportune type of thing that happens? I don't get that. Yeah. I don't know either, but yeah, it, it was a bit of a weird thing. So, can I ask you a question here as well? Like, you know, when um, Ordell sends, like, the country girl who, like, is kind of off-putting in how country she is, and then Simone, um, and then, like he, like, he messes with Jackie's plan, what was the – what did you take out of that fact? Because, like, you know, he messes with the plan, Jackie shows up at the apartment, she's like, what the hell are you doing? I'm so mad at you right now. And then they kind of hatch another plan. Which is, I, th- I think, I feel like the same plan, but like, yeah. <laughs> I think. Uh, what I'm trying to say I think, is I like, think Tarantino <laughs> honestly just got bored of like, like this. This is my feeling on the, on the thing when I think about like Tarantino yeah. adapting the story. I think he read the story. He was so excited, so excited. He's like, "Let me make this into a film." He makes it into a film. He writes the script. He's pretty excited. He gets halfway through the filming process, and he's like, "I think I've." 
filmed the entire story. Now let's just make up more stories of the same thing. <laughs> right. That's what I was going to say. Was like, like, Ordell messing with it doesn't really show a ton because they kind of gloss over it so quickly. Like, they just move on to the next phase of the plan anyway. Mm. But then her getting mad, the plan being wrong, like, all these scenes happen. They take time. And you learn nothing about either of the characters based on this. Like, you learn that Jackie doesn't take shit and she's happy to, like, sort of argue at Ordell, but you knew that already. You knew that Ordell is dumb and, and kind of just does stuff sometimes, but you knew that already. Um, and then the plan just keeps on rolling as if that didn't happen. So I just I didn't understand why they did that. Yeah, and, and nobody learns anything in any of these situations. <laughs> yeah, Odell doesn't do like this. Kind of implies that Odell is like willing to do a double cross, but he doesn't really do a double cross. So, like, it's not planting seeds for anything. It's just stuff happening, and I, and, and it felt like a waste of time, in my opinion. Yeah, it's it's the, like the, a good ten minutes as well. Like, yeah, it's pretty yeah, long. Like, like, it takes up a big chunk, and I think it's really just a fill that two hour and thirty minute mark that he really strides for every every single uh film he makes yeah. yeah it's a little it's a little frustrating um on the day of the transfer odell yeah he discovers that simone has left town with the 10k but like that's just a reason to get melanie into the mix which i get and it makes sense but you could have had simone there from the start like you just don't have the sharonda character right like you don't need her yeah i'd be interested to know what is in the book and what is miss or what has been added in the movie? What has been, what has been changed added, and added? Yeah, it's been so roundabout. Yeah, it's very roundabout. Okay, so this second paragraph, it's where like, Jackie enters a dressing room in a department store, tries on a suit. Though she is told Nicola oh, the exchange will take place like in front of food court. Yeah, it's the heist. Yeah, it's more or less the heist. She has told Ordell she will swap bags in the dressing room. The bag contains only forty thousand dollars. Jackie leaves. The wrist in the dressing room for Max, Jackie takes $10,000 and places it on the bag. She gives Melanie as a bonus. Jackie runs to the food court and finds Nicolette, claiming Melanie burst into the dressing room and stole the money. Yeah. And then, yeah. Okay, cool. Um, I mean, that's all like yeah, same thing of what we're talking about, you know, same, same kind of high situation. It's all kind of, yeah, it's activity happening. It's, not really changing my my feeling or mood in this. <laughs> it's kind of funny. Like, I was very much, um, like, engaged during this heist. It it only took till, like, later on when I'm like, wow, this was really simplistic. And funnily enough, I actually didn't know what the heist was. <laughs> like, you know when she's, like, running out of the um, center and, like, looking really shocked and looking around? I didn't know what, like, the rest of the plan was. I was just sort of on along for the ride. And really all she's doing is like, oh, cops, 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 you know, I got I got robbed. Um, <laughs> yeah. Sorry. You know, like, you know how we sort of, I think we've spoke about in the cast before with Tarantino's films, is that he's the most qualified B-grade filmer, right? You know, yeah. like, he's the most qualified student, quote-unquote student filmmaker, but like the best edit, I feel it. Like, sure. I feel like Jackie Brown is like straight out of film school. <laughs> right. Okay. I kind of get that. You know what? It's funny. Like he does sort of have like an indie quality to him. The um 
the camera shot the he camera shots, yeah. do. He, he does a lot of that. Like I, and I do kind of enjoy. Like it makes the scenes a bit, the monotonous scenes a little bit more exciting. You know, I, I sort of recall the scene where she's in her apartment. Max is sitting down. It's it's just before they have that dialogue about when he when she asks him like, "Are you afraid of getting old?" You know, she goes yeah. into the kitchen. She makes a cup of coffee, and I like the camera shot on the cupboard opens the cupboard it's like a zoom close-up focus on like the cup of the cup what why do you like that I, i'm curious I don't know. it, I it just, just makes it like more interesting you can kind of see the steps and the process that the character is going through like if if you had a shot where the camera just is static watching her do stuff and you don't see the physicality behind it um it's it'll give you a very one-dimensional understanding of what right. the character is going through however like what tarantino is doing here or well, i think his intent is to show the the character is actually doing something real you know <laughs> like the character is right. grabbing the cup yeah. grabbing the sugar grabbing the coffee pouring into the mug like all those that the sort of quote-unquote artistic shots it's not for everybody um yeah. but i appreciate those because he's putting an effort to show processes that are everyday monotonous things that are in films that kind of make the films feel a lot more grounded. Yeah, okay. I get yeah. that. And I think like, maybe that's the thing of this, because the movie, because like this movie, it's just a series of monotonous things for two and a half hours. <laughs> that's pretty, pretty much it. Don't splash up by people stealing money and whatever, and that's about it. Uh, um, but yeah. Let's like jump to, yeah, you were going to say? Act three. I was going to oh, say yeah. act three. Yeah, I was going to jump to this part. During the exchange, Melanie is on... And cooperative, and in the parking lot after the exchange, she mocks Louis for forgetting where they parked. <laughs> you know the lead up, to, like as this is, it's 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 a weird attempt to build tension because yeah. Louis as a character is quite boring. Like he's a very gentle kind of. You, yeah. you can you can feel that he's a criminal. You can feel that he's a little bit dumb. Like he's he's not quite all there, but he's just trying to get his bearings on society. But he doesn't go beyond like. I don't know, 10 octaves and like the sound Richter scale, whatever that is. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so the slow, the gradual build to him eventually popping her. Just turns around and just shoots her. Yeah. I was expecting him to actually slap her or something, you know. Yeah, yeah. Like, That's kind of what Odell says, right? Like you just hit her in the mouth. That's enough. You don't need to kill her. Just hit her in the mouth. And like he even threatens her in the mall, remember? Like, like when he's yeah. like, give me the bag, give me the bag. And then, She's like getting on her nerves, so it's like it builds up, I guess, from that more sequence, and then in the parking lot yeah. she just becomes more and more and more annoying um, to eventually just die. <laughs> this is probably one of like this whole sequence, like this first paragraph here of, of Act Three, is probably my favorite part of the film. Yeah. Like, it's fun watching her be uncooperative. It's mm. fun to see her get shot. It's fun to see Lewis like just like really like rattled. Not he, he's pretty rattled by it, right? Mm. Like he's having a hard time driving the car. He's just like, uh. yeah. and then when he like sort of admits to Ordell what happened, it's a fun conversation. And you see, yeah. like you had it at the start of the podcast, and you got like Ordell going like, "Why did you do that? <laughs> like, what is up with you? What is wrong with you? Why did you have to kill her for that?" Um, yeah, yeah. So that I mean, that's why I put it at the beginning because I was like, "Yeah, that's one of the very few exciting things in the film." <laughs> it's yeah, like it's easily, in my opinion, the best scene. Like this, this long sequence is like probably the best scene of the film. Yeah. Um, and yeah, this also fun. Like, I'll rate this number one, Beaumont number two, and the rest is just kind of this hate. The rest is a big three. Mm. <laughs> um, Odell instructs Max to tell Jackie that Odell will kill them if she does not return the money and if and that if she goes to the police 
He will name her in an accessory. Max goes to Ordell's house and tells him that Jackie, frightened, is waiting in Max's office with the money. Ordell holds Max at gunpoint as they enter his office. Jackie yells out that Ordell has a gun. Boom, 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 boom. Nicolette, Dargis, and Woodson hiding in the back ambush him and shoot him dead. The charges against Jackie are dropped, and she plans a trip to Madrid. Madrid. Max declines her invitation to join her. They kiss goodbye, and he watches her drive away. And then that drive away sequence, sitting in the car, that one shot, she just starts singing that song from. Uh, Street. Yeah. Um, so, what do you think? And that was the end of that. Wait, I don't understand. Why did he deny the invitation? Did uh, I miss something? Yeah, I feel like he's just like you know, he's just like that that dude, you know, like it wasn't a conversation they had prior. Like he was, he had other plans of part of his retirement or something, or no? Yeah, I don't get what's going on there. He's like, I'm going to quit bail bonding, and he's clearly still in the bail bond business, mm. and he decides not to go because he wants to keep bail bonding. I, I don't really because I thought get. this whole time like he was really craving to be in a relationship with her, and then all of a sudden he's like, Nah, I don't want to take this invitation. Yeah. I thought he would have said, Yeah, sweet, let's go. Like, a part of me is, like, sort of, he has no contact information for her. He's done, like, this very big thing mm. to... It's not going to be that hard to get contact information from her, though. Like, it's, like he kissed her. He's the one that that lunged, lunged in to kiss her. It's like, the next thing you do is ask oh, yeah, for her contact what, details. <laughs> but he didn't. She, she left. Yeah, it was weird. It was just a weird like, thing. I was like... Yeah, I, 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 like... Plotline-wise, I don't understand his character. He's like this straight-laced guy, falls in love, um, steals a bunch of money, which goes against his sort of morals, puts his life at risk to kill Ordell, and then she says, look, I like you too. Let's go to Madrid together. I want to kiss. And then she kisses him, and he's like, nah. <laughs> she just leaves. The end. The end. 110 Street I- credits. <laughs> and like, is it like, are you trying to tell me the story of like this person who feels like he's got responsibilities, so he can't do the things he loves, and he feels sad about it? I don't know. Like, I don't know if that's what they're trying to tell me because it's not very clear. It's not very clear. It's not even clear on the fact that if he did want to go back into the bail bond business, like that, he was actually changing his mind. None of that was clear at all. Yeah, he's still in the business. I don't know if like, is this like, I'm going to finish it up in a week, mm. or is it like? I'm back in. I, I actually take back yeah. what I said. Like, Even if he turned around on that end sequence and said, you know what? I enjoyed this whole like elaborate scheme to try and get Ordell and, you know, pay back or whatever. I might go back into yeah. thing. Like they probably could have thrown a line that like that, that might've yeah. made a little bit more sense. Or he, he could have like said, can you call me? He says, can you call me back in 30 minutes? Hangs up, calls up an airline says, can I get a ticket to Madrid? Like, that's something. Yeah, that would follow through you know I mean? consistently of what his character is after. Yeah, like if, if love is the main driver for this guy, then let it be the main driver for this guy. Mm. But I don't know what he's doing, and I don't know why he's doing any of yeah. that. So. It has to be, right? Because his main drive isn't bond bailing because he wants to get out of it. <laughs> I mean, like, yeah, but it's, it's, it's a living, right? <laughs> yeah, but he actively says that he wants to get out of it. So his, his yeah. only motivation then is the love that he has that doesn't actually throw like uh, eventuate into anything <laughs> when he has the chance to that's what gets me like if she just always you know 
doesn't seem that way, then yeah, that's fine. He can just be a sad guy who does something for love. But she does, and he doesn't do anything. He's just and that, and and that kiss, by the way, was so weak. <laughs> you thought that was a weak kiss? I thought that was a fairly strong kiss, dude. What are you talking are about? You like, that's, that, yeah, man. Like for for a film kiss, that was deep. I thought that was deep. no. Pretty sloppy, man. I don't know no the I feel like pretty sloppy. Nah, it was just two lips that just engaged like a bunch of strangers. No, it, wasn't like a it was like a movement. Like it no, movement. it wasn't. Bro, watch it again. No, man. I contest. <laughs> I stand corrected. <laughs> yeah. like, uh, like, I'm not saying it was like it was too much. But I, I would never have caught a week, is what I'm saying. <laughs> Tarantino made some significant changes to Leonard's material. Aha. Uh-huh. Most notably okay, changing you, the title. Oh, sorry. The title wasn't Rio, whatever I said before. The title was Rum Punch. Rum Punch, okay. okay. Making Jackie's last name Brown instead of Burke. So the character's name of the book was Jackie Burke. Who cares? Who cares? Like, why change I it? don't know. An obvious homage to Pam Greer's Foxy Brown character. Oh, so she played a. Oh, she played Foxy Brown like in the sixties or the seventies. I think it was. Apparently, like they call this like a black exploitation film, which I've heard a million times, but I never really knew what that meant. Do you know what a black exploitation film is? Do they mean like the um, over characterizing um, black people? Yeah, so it's like apparently I looked this up because I just didn't really know what it meant. It's like it's an era of filmmaking where, um, <clears throat> like, there's a lot of like sort of quiet dissension and quiet like sort of um, rebellion. And so they made a bunch of films pretty much targeting black people to try and get like black people watching movies. And a lot of them have like these um, black main characters who are just over the top action heroes, like a guy like, like Shaft is a black exploitation film. And so it's a genre just due to the fact of like kind of the era that it was in. Okay. I don't know. I don't, I don't yeah, even know what that means, black exploitation. I mean, <clears throat> it's a good thing if, you, so if, it, if black people get work, it's a good thing that black people are going to see these films and enjoying them. <clears throat> no, it's not like, I think, like, yeah, I think the term at the time was like negative, especially because like a lot of the films were showing like drug dealers and. Oh, pimps. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like classic really, like, well. like black American Spanish stereotypes. Yeah, mm. it was doing a lot of that. But then I think these days it's actually referring to like literally like a film starring a lot of black people that have like a sixties vibe. Like it's like a it's like a genre now mm. rather than a derogatory term. And I think people say Jackie Brown is like an homage to that era of filmmaking. Okay. I don't know. Anyway, sorry. I don't know if Tarantino's on record of like saying any of that kind of stuff because I don't think he would say it. Although, although, actually, like, there's something at the bottom here. I'll jump to this. I'll finish off the sentence here real quick first. Um, yeah, sorry. Though Tarantino had purchased the rights to the novel and was allowed to take a, take whatever creative liberties he wanted, he was concerned that Leonard would disapprove. Quote, he called me right before he went to into production on Jackie Brown, unquote. This is what Leonard said. He said, I've been afraid to call you for the last year. And I said, Why? Because you changed the title and the color of the main character. He said, yeah. I said, well, that's all right. You do what you want. You're a filmmaker. So um, this leads into what you were saying before about sort of this idea of black exploitation, perhaps. Um, 
uh, where was it? Oh, they changed the color they of the main character. The, yeah, the color of the main character was a white female um, playing Jackie Burke. But mm. um, now he changed it to Jackie Brown as a homage to Foxy Brown character that Pam Greer played in the past from like other movies um, and also making a black character. Uh, I actually oh, wonder okay. if um, Ordell is a black character too. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if it's just like a white story. Rum Punch. That sounds like a white story. Does it? Why? Because it's rum. It feels like drunken by white yeah, people. Yeah, like rum. Like literally like, like a bowl of punch. <laughs> <laughs> with rum in it. Um, yeah, so overall, like, I want to throw it to you overall. What do you think? Ah, I went first last time. I, <laughs> I really want to hear you. Okay, okay, so um, not the best Tarantino movie, which is uh, contrary to what most people would say, I think. I even, like, spoke to a couple of people last week saying that they really enjoyed Jackie Brown. Like they, it's one of their favorite Tarantino films, and I said why, yeah, yeah. and they said, "Oh, it's just cool." They weren't very descriptive on um, <laughs> why they liked it. Uh, I was like, "All right, cool." I mean, just like the the sound, the ti- like the movie title itself sounds cool, Jackie Brown. And then when you look cool. at the I cast of characters. Starting sequences cool. sequence is a fun little. Ride. Mm. When you look at this, this, uh, the um, <clears throat> the um the actors, yeah. You look at the actors in it. Um, you look at the kind of style of the film that it's trying to portray. You think that you want to get into like a very cool, exciting film. Like actually, the the cover image or the the cover of the Blu-ray, the DVD, the poster. Mm. Um, it reminds you a little bit of a uh, what's that American '60s gangster film with Christian Bale? Um, Ah, oh. 60s Christian Bale. I can't, oh, sorry. Uh, hustle, hustle? American Hustle, I think it's called. Oh, yeah, it kind of reminds you of that vibe. And if it was, if Jackie Brown was like maybe an earlier edition of what American Hustle was, I think it would have been a better story. It just would have been more exciting. <laughs> right, okay. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah, I haven't seen that. I should watch that. Yeah. I read one, so it just kind of like went under the radar for me. Mm. So for that reason... I'm going to give it a – I kind of have – like, I want to ask you for your opinion. No, 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 I, I shouldn't. No, no, come on. Uh, yeah, no, 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 I should I'm going to give it a 6 out of 10. Really? Yeah, yeah 6 out of 10. Okay. Yeah. 6 out of 10. Because um, it's, not, it's not halfway. I, I, I don't think it deserves a 5. I, th- no. I think it can be deserving of a 7, but – Maybe deserving of a seven means that I have to do what Tarantino says. It's going to be better on the second, much better on the third, and even way better on the fourth. Yeah. I don't know if I'm ready for that. I, I don't know if I want to call it like a bad film. And like, I, I feel weird in the sense that I think, um, okay, so overall, I, I, I've done a lot of my overalls. So I'm not going to really delve too much into it, but I'm thinking about this from a ranking point of view in my head. It's just kind of a weird way to do this. But I gave Tenet a six. You did it objectively bad, and like I like in my overall gave that a five out of ten, didn't we? I think so. Did I give it a six? No, I think you gave it a five, yeah, and I gave it like six, something like that. Yeah, that was five and a half because, like, to me, that's like the floor for films, 
<laughs> so I'm kind of like in, in IGN territory now where I can't go lower than a five <laughs> for anything. Because <laughs> if Tenet's a five, and I think to myself, well, Jackie Brown's way better than Tenet. Um, Is it? But yeah. Oh, yeah, for okay. sure. I think so. Because like, this is boring, but it's not offensive. I find Tenet like offensively bad. You really hate Tenet. I can't like I don't understand why you didn't give Tenet like a three. Yeah, I know. I regret it now. I, I, I want to go back and give it a three just to give myself some wiggle room with the rest of the movies. Um, like it's weird. Like this is the first film I think that's like it doesn't play with like the nonlinear timelines, and I shouldn't mind that. But I just think the dialogue is boring. There is a lot of it. The heist is boring. That's the main plot of the film. One character is interesting, but he's often relegated to doing boring things. Like, if you think about Ordell's character, his interaction with Beaumont, his interaction with Lewis, like, one of, like, two of his interactions with Lewis, they're entertaining. The rest are boring. And I feel like Samuel L. Jackson is doing, like, a lot of work. Um, and he's just not really getting a lot of support. And I guess with that in mind, Maybe I'll leave it like a six and a half. Like, it's, I've never before watched a film and then halfway through said, I don't want to watch this anymore. And that happens. Almost time. that alone, that action alone almost says like, that should be a four. <laughs> it should be. But, but I can't talk because I, I did the same thing as well. <laughs> yeah, when I, when I, look, the second half was more entertaining. The second half was more entertaining, but it's just like, the fact that Max Cherry, his character just doesn't seem to have any growth or any arc or anything, and he's like, I don't know, third main, if anything, that really leaves a bad taste in my mouth. Like, Pam Greer, her, her, her arc is not even really anything. Like, she... To be honest, really, been like, for her to be the main character, she's pretty boring. Yeah. <laughs> like, she's just one track like just i have a plan i'm going to execute that plan you never see her figure out that plan you never really see her fail you never see her get scared like for someone who's been on like 16 grand and her life is kind of shit she seems like yeah they mentioned mentioned that like two or three times right yeah like she's pretty effective like she's just in charge she knows what she's doing she's like she does not get scared by Ordell very often like at all I don't think really like she's always in control and yeah her arc is a boring arc she just she's just successful and she achieves her thing and it makes me wonder why she's in the position that she's in in the first place she practically ends up in the same place that she was at the beginning of the film with the exception of being going rich. yeah being rich and going to Madrid but also <laughs> The cops know that she's on 16 grand with no chance to have a real job. Why would you then fly to Europe? Like, after all that's happened. Pretty sunny over in Europe. Pretty nice. Yeah, pretty good like, weather. That kind of a, like, wouldn't it be better to fly down to, to Mexico as part of your job and then just stay in Mexico for a while? Like, she's done that so many times. She doesn't want to go to Mexico. I know, but like, I just feel like that's going to raise some flags, surely not? Like, hey, you know, Jackie Brown moved to, uh, went to Madrid for a while. It's like, oh, that's really, she's going on an international holiday on 16 grand. And I suspect her for stealing money. Yeah, right. Um, it is a bit dodgy, but like, that's not what I'm thinking about. I 
My role in this is always like the like raise plot holes. Not a big deal. Not a big you deal. raise plot holes for like logistics of the character and the, the I just think it's like if I was Michael Keaton and I saw that after all that happened, Jackie Brown then went on a holiday to Madrid, I would maybe look into Jackie Brown a little bit. Sure, yeah. I mean, I'm pretty sure they have their eyes set on her still. Like, I don't think it's... Well, that's a dumb I, thing I, for I her to do I don't think it's case. like a one-and-done situation for those cops, you know? Like, it's what cops want to do. But then at the same time, again, like, the cops operated completely illegal. Like, they just shot him point-blank. They can't just shoot him like that. <laughs> he had a gun. <laughs> <laughs> he did, like... Did he? Like, okay, wait, first of all, I don't even think he had a gun anyway. No, he does have a gun. They kick it away. They, oh, they, they go yeah, out they, they do. They do, that. yeah. But, like, I don't know. It, it, the whole, that whole sequence, like, it's it's very much like this is going to have to bleed out in court. They're going to have to defend their case of, like, why they shot him and blah, blah, blah. It's like the cops are, like, just as corrupt. Not maybe just as corrupt, but they're pretty corrupt in what they're doing. I mean, they're trying to save her, I suppose. But, like, I would have loved it if they actually did have a cop cop scene. Mm-hmm. Like, they shoot him. The light comes on. He doesn't have a gun, right? Have you seen that Dave Chappelle skit? No. Where then they just sort of, like, sprinkle some crack on him? <laughs> 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 and they just sprinkle crack on Ordell, and they're like, well, uh, uh, he, 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 he was feeding Yeah, him. man, he was feeling for that crack, man, and he went crazy. Yeah. And he popped us. He tried to pop us, we shoot um, it yeah. probably would have made the movie a little bit more exciting. But yeah, um, to me, I'm going to give it, like, you gave it a six. I'm happy to go 6.5, six ish. Done. Happy with, Done. Happy with that. Um, we'll run that up to six out of 10. <laughs> sure. I feel, feel bad about it, but yeah. Yeah, I just but, did not enjoy you know, it at all. Hey, it's still good, you know? Like, it's still good the fact that we've given it more than 50%, right? Of the rating, so well, I mean, like, there are people out there who think it's the best Tarantino film. Yeah, I, I don't know, like I've I, I try to I try to ask them like more questions of understanding why they think it's such a good film. They couldn't really give me a good description. Yeah. They were just saying, "Oh, it's it's a cool, fun movie. Samuel Jackson's good, and um, Jackie Brown's good, and Robert De Niro's good." I was like, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, Robert De Niro, like you know, it's kind of weird, like, the most oh, yeah, boring Robert De Niro I've ever seen. <laughs> Oh, for sure. Like, I don't really get, like, a hard-on for, like, actors being in movies that much. Like, mm. it's just performances, right? Yeah. And sometimes they have a great name or have a bad performance. Or I don't think he's even bad. I just think his character's a boring character, and it's just kind of shitty to watch. just doesn't go in. Like, his character doesn't really go anywhere as well. It, it amounts to zero. <laughs> uh, I mean, okay, to take it back, though, he is part of, the like, the funniest part of the film. Like, the two best yeah. scenes he's, yeah. uh, he's central to, yeah. so... Can we really shit on Robert De Niro that no. much? No, but but then at the same time, like those scenes, if if those scenes were subtracted from the film, and and yeah. it was it was then replaced with like really interesting plots and character, I it wouldn't have mattered, right? Let's say you take away those two scenes and you just don't replace them. It's a three. Is the it's film a three? Two? <laughs> <laughs> we're giving so much credit to those scenes, actually. Yeah, yeah, it's. Yeah. it's, like, it's it's like the fun. That's part. what I'm saying. Like Chris Chris Tucker's character should have been in this movie a lot more. Like I missed that character when we're going. We're yeah. like an hour and a half into the film. We're like, damn, we've got one hour left to go. Man, that I felt that moment. I was like, it's not oh, good. Dude. Not good. Where's Chris? Character? Like, just at least do a flashback. I don't know. Do some non-linear storytelling where you show us like a backstory between like him in jail or something. I don't know. So I've got like a trial to stand um, for this, you know, series. And 
you, you know, I had that moment where I paused it and you see an hour left and you're like, oh, what is this? Yeah. <laughs> like, how can there be? How can, like, I hope it's a long credit sequence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh. Yeah. Well, with that being All said, right. that wraps up our review and recap for the third Quentin Tarantino film, Jackie Brown. Not a, not as great as the other ones, like nowhere near the quality of filmmaking and storytelling and Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction. However, we are kind of excited. Well, I'm excited. More out of curiosity of whether this film is going to be as good as what people say it is or as bad as what yeah. people say it is because it's extreme ends. There's nothing really in between. I hear that it's... I've never heard anyone shit on Jackie Brown, to be honest. I've only heard, like, varying degrees of love. And it's a part of me wonders, like, am I missing something? Mm. Like, that actually... As, like I've read reviews where they say it's like a really poignant view on race, and you know it may well be. Um, I, I just don't know if I care. Yeah, I don't know if I care. Mm. But but I was more I was more so talking about the next film we go to review and recap. Oh, which one's that one? <laughs> Kill Bill. Oh, okay. Like this is an interesting thing for me. So I've seen Kill Bill once, mm-hmm. and I actually hated it. <laughs> disliked it. I disliked it. Um. So, yeah. Yeah. That, um, that, this is what I was talking about when Kill Bill, the Kill Bill series is, is, is a very much a love or hate um, mm-hmm. type of extreme. I don't know anybody that's in between. They're kind of like, oh, I kind of like them because these films are long. Like, are yeah, they? they're pretty long. Like, well, mm-hmm. if you consider Kill Bill Volume 1 and 2 as one film as, as opposed to just two films, because there's, there's this ongoing debate about whether – Kill Bill Volume 2 is actually two separate films or it's just one film just cut up into two. It's like The Lord of the Rings, right? Yeah, it kind of, but it's a bit more... It, well, no, Lord of the Rings is straight up, like three, one film just cut into three parts. But, it's like if you look but, at... But they, they work... No, like, no, like <laughs> I, I, guess, I guess what we're trying to say is that they work as individual films. So you can watch Fellowship of the Ring and it's got a good beginning and a good ending. Um and, and it's a solid like right. film on its own, whereas Kill Bill Volume One it ends abruptly. You're kind of like, where's the rest of the movie? But if you start two, like like Twin Two Towers, yeah. without fellowship, yeah. you won't know what's going on. You won't know what's going on because like these characters are like already somewhat developed, you know, and they're they're stuck in yeah. a situation where you're not really sure how they even got there. Absolutely, yeah. but like you can still watch that. You can still watch any of those films. Um, exclusively on their own yeah. and still kind of you enjoy it. You still have a good time, yeah. Whereas Kill Bill Volume 1 and 2, I would You're just like I would describe it as like he's chopped the film in half and you're like, where's the rest of it? <laughs> There's another movie like that, right? There's another one that's like that. Um, God, okay, maybe it's just Kill Bill. That, uh, this is going to eat me alive. Like, like there's this other film where they just sort of cut it at a random spot. Mm. No, I lost it. Can't think of it. Um, actually, right, I'm wrong. Again. It's not Kill Bill World Volume 1 and 2. I take that back. Um, I think it's... I mean, it, it's in my list, I guess. I, I can't even think of it right now. We've got to tell the fans yeah, what we're saying yeah. next. Okay. Or you can look at our reel that we released two weeks ago, which tells you like the whole lineup. <laughs> was there a lineup? Wait, let me see here. There was a lineup, we yeah. we got... <clears throat> Um, <laughs> IMDb. This is probably the best way to do it, right? Yep, it's definitely the best way. Okay, okay. We have. Oh no, oh, it, it is Kill Bill. Sorry, yeah. I, I was right. It is Kill Bill. Yeah. So he does. Are we not watching Reservoir Wolves? <laughs> what is Reservoir Wolves? 
Hey, we didn't do. F- oh wait, no. Okay, we got to do just only directed. Directed, yeah, yeah. Written by, written by. Only directed, only directed. So yeah, the next ones is Kill Bill Volume One and Two. So he had a bit of a gap between Jackie Brown, Jackie Brown '97, and Kill Bill came out in 2003. So okay, so we got Kill Bill mm. One, Kill Bill Two. He did Sin City. No, 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 what? No, no, no. He's the he's the assistant director to his longtime friend Robert Rodriguez. So oh, he's okay. not the primary director. No, he's, so he gets credit because he gets pulled into some of these projects with Robert Rodriguez. Wait, are we doing Grindhouse and Death Proof? Just Death Proof. Because he oh, didn't man, do Grindhouse. Okay. Grindhouse was, I believe, uh, Robert Rodriguez, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, Robert Rodriguez. I've never seen this. this yeah. I feel like this is like a gory film, yeah, but yeah. sure. The Grindhouse series. Then, Inglori- yeah. then we've got Inglorious Bastards, Django, Hateful Eight, then Once Upon a Time. Yeah. Okay, cool. So, it's a it's, you know what? Yeah, it's a fairly like straightforward. This is not bad. This is not bad. No, this is not bad. It's yeah. One point two. Four, five, okay. Wait, we're seeing seven, eight, nine. I'm only seeing nine here. Nine. Wait, Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, mm-hmm. Jackie Brown, Kill Bill, Kill Bill. Mm-hmm. That's five. Death Proof. Yep. Inglorious. Django. Hateful Eight. Oh, one point a time. Okay, I count wrong. <laughs> Me count bad. There you go. You can't count. Um, so like we'll catch you on the next episode of that review and recap Um, we do endeavor on giving some um, other TV series reviews as well we're looking at Ahsoka at the moment so um, Ahsoka we're we're watching that and we're probably going to review and recap that once we get to the end of um, the series so that could be exciting it's quite good so far Um, haven't been totally impressed with the Star Wars universe lately since the Disney era. Um, but yeah, people love the Mandalorian. Well, there, there's nuggets, you know, there's nuggets of good things. It doesn't compare to sort of the original um, time when Star Wars first came out. Um, right. But, but that being said, thank you for sticking around for this long podcast. And thank you to you, Tony, at Ooks Eats Food. What are the, the, I do. I eat a lot of food. Is that, did I get that right? Ook Eats Food. I do, yeah. O U K O U K. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. All right, okay. Um we'll catch you again in the next one and um goodbye everybody. Have a safe week.